This is Garth from The Lost Cabin. I've got a bowl of one of the first batches of double bubble gum shipped up from Philadelphia that I'm getting ready to hand out to trick-or-treaters. And while I wait for them to show up at the door of The Lost Cabin, I'm going to listen to a story. I'm going to allow myself to plunge into a world where fear is everywhere and neighbors no longer trust each other. Welcome to Salem, 1692. If you listen to our episode about the Gloucester Phantom Leaguers and Dogtown's Witches, you'll be aware of the terror that plagued Cape Ann for hundreds of years. But this was nothing compared to what befell the residents of Salem, Massachusetts, when the devil tormented an entire population. As a matter of course, the ordinary person feared God's wrath, as well as starvation, smallpox, and the invasion by the French. In the 17th century, you could be easily hanged for practicing the wrong form of Christianity, let alone witchcraft. As if that wasn't bad enough, the woods of the hinterland around Salem were full of unspeakable and indescribable monsters. Regardless, you would have to go into the woods to get water, firewood, chestnuts, berries, and in doing so, you might by accident see one of the most horrifying events. One of your neighbors signing his name in the devil's book. To be sure, this wasn't an imagined event. People would in fact see the devil himself and watch as their neighbors signed a pact in the blasted book, damning them forever. And this isn't something that I'm exaggerating or making up. You'll have to listen more to understand. If you're into Halloween, you've probably made at least one pilgrimage to Salem, or you would like to. Salem is like an ad hoc Halloween amusement park that is full of costume shops, magic shops, museums, reenactment theaters, haunted houses, and creepy walking tours. And Salem isn't just a place for Halloween, it's a historic New England town with beautiful old houses, a lighthouse walk, great restaurants, and an awesome ice cream shop. It's a great tourist destination any time of the year, but at Halloween it's operating at a whole new level. As the audience becomes part of the show, you'll see that the streets are full of people who are often in costume year-round, and you'll see what I mean. The traffic is miserable this time of year. Even driving by the city can be painful. But it makes them a lot of money, and they're all in on it. 
Their nickname is Witch City, and even the police department on its uniform patch has a witch on a broomstick flying overhead. But how did this all happen? It's a very twisted route that actually originally came from other places. The real Salem and its history are buried and obscured. Don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of Salem's Mardi Gras weirdness. But this is lost Massachusetts, and we need the full story. And that story might surprise you. Let's go over the brief history of the Salem Witch Hysteria. It was the summer of 1692, and everyone in Massachusetts completely lost their minds. The reasons for the hysteria are complex and have been studied over and over and over again. One theory concerns contaminated grain that may have caused physical illness and hallucinations in people who ate it. The ergot theory. I've always found it interesting, but the panic was so widespread that the supposed contaminated food would have to be in so many places over such a long period of time as to be effective. I've always kind of counted that one out. As we discussed in the previous episode about the Gloucester Phantom Leaguers, ghosts, monsters, demons, and witches were running riot in many places. The problem in Salem was being driven by a number of young women who were throwing fits and showing various physical symptoms. A reverend doctor came to the conclusion that they were bewitched. This led to multiple people accusing other people of being witches, who in turn accused more people of being witches to divert attention from themselves. People who confessed to being witches and blamed others were released. People who denied being witches were tried and hung. One man who refused to even answer to the charges was pressed to death by rocks. Just to give the listener an idea of how bonkers things were, one way witches were identified was by the use of a so-called witch's cake. So what's a witch's cake? Hmm, a witch's cake is made from the urine of one of the afflicted young women. The cake is then fed to a dog, and the dog reveals who the witch is. The discussions and debates within the proceedings of the witch courts often revolved around whether different types of occult evidence could actually be used because such spectral evidence could be manipulated by the devil himself. After 150 accusations and 19 executions, more sensible heads prevailed and the courts were shut down, prisoners were released and generally people immediately realized a great injustice had been done. The entire period of madness lasted about five months. Within five years, there was a formal recognition of this vicious period by the Commonwealth. Excuse the pun, but I'm going to play devil's advocate and assume that witches were real and a supernatural force worked its way through Salem. If that was true, then the officers of the court were the worst paranormal investigators ever. First of all, it was clear 
that none of the people who were executed were real witches. And second, anybody who confessed to being a witch was actually released. It doesn't seem like they eradicated any of the evil from their communities. And even if you ask a child what they think of the situation, they come up with their own curious questions. Okay. Can, can you ask that question again that you just asked me? Um, well, if they really were witches, then how would the normal people overpower them? That's a good question. Why couldn't they use their vast powers of witchcraft to escape from the jail or do a number of other things? So even kids can look at this situation and see how flimsy any accusation was when simple logic was applied. While we think it's silly, it may have had even darker purposes. Modern researchers believe this was all part of a vicious land grab. Many of the women and men accused and hung were widowed landowners without families to leave their land to. Their property could be seized by their accusers at an auction after they were dead. The witch hysteria was real, of course, and this is where the devil comes back in. Many of the testimonies refer to the accused meeting the devil in the woods and signing his book. Who was this devil? And what was his book? This was a period where it was common to purchase land from local Algonquin tribes, but people would shun these transactions as a literal deal with the devil. Because the native tribes didn't write in English, their marked signatures often appeared as elaborate artistic patterns that would have looked like an arcane incantation. Entering into a contract with an Indian in the woods was the equivalent of selling your soul. This is the tragic story, which was later recognized as horrible history by the residents of Salem. But how did we move from that dark past to the fun present that celebrates magic and expresses itself in ways that our Puritan ancestors would be shocked by? Stay tuned to find out. Hocus Pocus is a goofy 1993 film about three real hanged witches. Well, real witches in the movie, not real witches in history. In Salem, who are brought back from the dead accidentally by some dumb teenagers. It's now a cult classic and Halloween rerun staple. It takes place in Salem and was even partially filmed there. Hocus Pocus continued the fun theatrical association of Salem and witches that actually started in the 1960s when the TV show Bewitched filmed an episode in Salem. The campy sitcom solidified Salem's pop culture identity with all things witches and Halloween. With a twitch of Samantha's nose, the city's modern fate was sealed. There is even a statue of Elizabeth Montgomery as Samantha on the street in Salem. Since then, it's become the home of real practicing witches, mystics, spiritualists, fortune tellers, new age practitioners. The city has catered its entertainment to whatever the pop culture calls for at the time. 
Whether it's vampires, pirates, zombies, wizards, or aliens. So we have a massive modern rolling festival of Halloween. We have practicing witches. We have a multiple venues that reenact the witch trials, all capitalizing on Salem's tragic history. But there's one big problem. None of the Salem witch hysteria actually happened here. The Salem you see when you walk these streets is a complete fiction. The real Salem is a lost Massachusetts town. If you've been to Salem, you might be familiar with its main sections, Federal Street, The Point, and Derby Wharf. It's full of narrow, busy streets. But in 1692, during the witch trial time, there was nothing there. The people involved in the witch hysteria were farmers. Modern Salem is next to the ocean. It's not great farmland. In the 17th century, the larger area, which comprises several towns, was called Salem. As if it were a greater sub-colony within Massachusetts. The place where the hysteria actually occurred was called Salem Village and is now a vanished town within the city of Danvers, Massachusetts. The village itself may be vanished, but the history of what happened there has actually been well preserved at the site and can still be seen today. So we've just uh, turned down a small road into a parking lot with a very old wooden fence and their beautiful now red maple trees in the middle of October, big red leaves, and I'm walking through a memorial park to a memorial that is dedicated to the memory of the Salem witch trials. But I am not in Salem, Massachusetts. I am in a completely different town. Now I'm standing in front of a very large uh, memorial, elaborate memorial, it says, in memory of those innocents who died during the Salem Village witchcraft hysteria of 1692, there is a big stone open book, the Book of Life, and below it, there are two heavy iron shackles that indicate the shackles used for the prisoners who were held for witchcraft. There's a large kind of fold-out stone memorial that has the uh, declarations of the various victims. This first one by Martha Corey. I am an innocent person. I never had to do with witchcraft since I was born. I am a gospel woman. Mary Esty, the Lord above knows my innocence. Elizabeth Howe, if it was the last moment I was to live, God knows that I am innocent. George Jacobs Sr. Well, burn me or hang me, I will stand in the truth of Christ. And it goes on and on and on like that. And what has always been the most ironic thing, at least to me, was how Salem has become associated with real witches when none of these people who were hanged in these trials were in fact witches and spent their last dying moments trying to convince their fellow townspeople that they weren't witches.
So there you have it. The original Salem Village was a place of terror that later became a place of shame. The town hall, where some of the first accusations and trials took place, was abandoned within 10 years and rotted into the ground. The town itself was renamed Danvers and moved on until 300 years later when a memorial was erected to right the wrongs of the past. Hang out after the commercial and we'll give you directions to the various places that we've mentioned. The Witch Trial Memorial is located at 176 Hobart Street in Danvers, Massachusetts. You can get there either by Interstate 95 or Route 1 and get off at Center Street and turn left on Hobart. Park in the soccer field parking lot behind the memorial and then walk over. At this site, you'll also find many historical signs marking the various locations of things like the town meeting hall. The Elizabeth Montgomery Bewitched Statue is at Essex and Washington Street in Salem, Massachusetts. And if you can find your way to the statue, you're basically right in the middle of all of the Salem chaos and start wandering around and looking at all the cool stuff and you'll have a great time. And of course, there's another lost place underneath Salem Village that will be the subject of future episode. But for now, our next episode is going to be something truly creepy for Halloween. A very, very lost Massachusetts town. This is Garth from the Lost Cabin. Thanks for joining us to this trip back in time. We hope you'll join us next time for a new adventure. For the moment, I'm sitting by the fire, carving pumpkins, and getting ready for the big day. Remember, it's always Halloween somewhere. Hey, if you like the show for some reason, there are lots of ways you can join the fun or get a hold of us. You can message Lost Mass through the podcast apps on Anchor. There's a voice option. Or you can go to lostmassachusetts.com and subscribe to our blog or use the various methods there to contact us. If you go to lostmassachusetts.com, you can also sign up to get a postcard from a lost place and find out where to send us a lost postcard too. Also go to Lost Massachusetts at uh, Instagram for photos and other details. We will do our best to respond to comments uh, directly uh, as well as within the show. You might hear um, your own comment. That's fun. <laughs>